I have never been more hopeful in my career that the decade of 2020 can really be our moment. Skills, mental health, diversity, leadership, equity, future of work, mission statements, purpose, corporate responsibility, you name it, we talked about it in this latest episode of Bring It In. We did it with Susan Dreyfus. Through a 30-year professional career, she served at the local, state, and national levels and is recognized as a leader in the health and human services field in both the public and the social sectors. For the last nine years, Susan served as CEO of the Alliance for Strong Families and Communities. Her public sector experiences have had her working with elected leaders, legislative bodies, community leaders, and teams to lead and manage large agencies, programs, and create policy. In 1996, prior to all this, she was appointed by then-Governor Tommy Thompson, the state of Wisconsin, to be the first administrator of the Division of Children and Family Services. In 2009, she served in the executive cabinet for Governor Chris Gregoire. She was also previously a part of a 12-member national commission to eliminate child abuse and neglect fatalities, appointed by then-Speaker of the House, Representative John Boehner. We can't have a real conversation about the future of work and leave out the role of government, elected officials, policy, and the social sector. So it's for that reason I had a blast talking with Susan in this episode. In this episode, Susan really talked about the fact that it really is all about the people. So with that, let's bring it in. You've had a pretty amazing career, to say the least, given just the background I've been able to dig into. I'd love for you to open us up by just sharing your journey. Sure. You know, it's, it's so funny. If someone had told me as I was growing up in Marshalltown, Iowa, that I would have the career and the opportunities that I've had, I would never have believed it. And it's, it's as if... Um, I've, I've just always felt there was a larger hand in my career and the things that followed next just always to seem to be the right ones. But I also dared to take risk. And you, know, you, could, you don't have success if you don't dare to take risk. I don't think there's a single job I've had that I was ready for that job the day I took it. Um, but my career now has been able to span government uh, county government, chief of staff to a county executive, state government, first administrator of children and families for Governor Tommy Thompson in the state of Wisconsin, Republican governor, um, secretary of the Washington State Department of Social and Health Services for a Democrat governor, Governor Christine Gregoire, um, and also now close to, my goodness sakes, 15 years that I have worked in the social sector. And Sam, you're not gonna hear me call this sector the nonprofit sector because in Latin, that means no progress. And I refuse to be about no progress. Um, but the social sector, this vital third sector in our nation, I've had the opportunity to work with a national network um, of community-based human serving organizations across this country. And so having both this social sector experience, public sector experience, working for a Democrat, working for a Republican, advocating at the federal, state, and local level, it's just given me a really unique lens. Um, what's amazing, though, it might surprise you and your listeners, but coming through this great pandemic, I have never been more hopeful in my career that the decade of 2020 can really be our moment. 
um, to really get at the root causes and change some of these systems that sometimes I feel like I'm watching a soap opera, stuff we were talking about 20 years ago, we keep talking about today. But I've been blessed, um, but I've also been willing to take risk and reach further than even I thought I was capable of. I was, I was reading a little bit about your work with the Alliance for Strong Families and Communities, and I came across a summit that I believe you all held called Building a 21st Century Social Sector Workforce, which now you're not going to hear me say nonprofit either, because now you're changing <laughs> me already. Uh, can, can you tell us more about what building a 21st century workforce should look like, or maybe some of the outcomes of that event? Sure. Well, I think, I think first of all, you'll keep in mind that I have a perspective of, of public sector and social sector. Um, and so for your listeners, you know, that's, a, that's the lens, you know, that I bring. I, I really do believe that when, when we at the Alliance, and again, we just completed a historic, highly strategic merger um, at, the end of the, uh, at the end of last year, as I was coming out as CEO for a planned departure that I've been planning on since I came to the Alliance, you know, almost nine years ago to take on other work that I want to do. Um, we did a merger with the, the Council on Accreditation, so uh, soon the new name will be launched, but the Alliance, as I was CEO of, um, no longer exists as it was. We are now a new entity um, nationally that I think will have a much bigger impact, but it's important to know that when the social sector takes this on, of course, we're thinking of our own workforce, but we're also thinking about our community and how we play our part, um, because if at the end of the day, if people could break down what is at, in the, at the essence of human services and America's community-based human serving organizations, these beacons of light, I like to call them. I know in New Jersey, you've done work with Coventry House and that's a good example, um, is that uh, um, these organizations um, build the human capital of America. And so I think we have a very unique insight into the, you know, the question you're raising about the future of work. I think one of the things that's going to be really important going forward and the pandemic has put a spotlight on it and that and even our Shea Cooper's um, documentary, A Most Beautiful Thing that you highlighted in his uh, podcast here a few weeks back brings it out. And that is we now understand through neuroscience, um, not through voodoo, but through science, we now understand um, what toxic stress and trauma does to a developing brain and we now understand how that translates into every aspect of a person's life. So really quickly, you know, your prefrontal cortex, the front part of your brain is what, is what triggers these executive function skills. And if you live within a context, whether it's in your home or in your neighborhood, um, if you live within a context that is at a high level of stress, you don't feel safe, you don't feel that your needs are being met, everything is hard, that steady drip, drip, drip of stress absolutely impacts every aspect of your life. We know it is, impacts your health, chronic illness and disease, and your ability to be successful in work. So one of the things I think is gonna be really important to the future of work, if we are truly talking as a nation about equity, equal access and opportunity, is how employers give their employees an opportunity to build and exercise these executive function skills and just to plain talk them, 
the ability to control and sustain attention, set goals, make plans, monitor rules, delay gratification, control impulses, all the soft skills that employers complain that, that their workforce doesn't have sit in that prefrontal cortex area. So when there's opportunities that employers create in our sector for their own workforce, but also are creating through the way they provide their programs and services, the opportunities for people to build those skills in normalized age appropriate ways and exercise them over time, we will have far more equity of access and opportunity for all people in the workforce. I hope that, I know that was long, but I thought it was just an important point to make, but what's gonna be important with equity at the center for the future of work. Feels like there's a gap in, in this process of trying to step back and understand where your people come from every day. You know, like even, exactly. you know, even, even when you watch the news today, there's so much talk about remote work and will people come back to the office? But you know, as you know, half of American jobs are in the service sector. Most workers don't get to work from home. And in a lot of vulnerable communities, people are maybe coming from, to your point, different experiences and upbringings. How do, I guess, if you were talking to CEOs today or leaders, any, any advice or any, uh, anything that you could, you could share? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, all I can do is give a perspective and I think it's, I think it's really three things. Um, I think first it's to be vulnerable. Um, I have spent um, over this past year, um, some teary times and my staff actually saw me in tears when we have um, company-wide conversations about equity, diversity, inclusion. And um, with the police unrest, you know, earlier last summer and, and, and us really starting to see the, the inequity of how this pandemic hit our neighbors of color and of promise. I know, Sam, you know, we talk about vulnerable communities. We've got to change our language. These are communities of promise. Um, these are people of promise. And we tend to describe so many of our neighbors, especially people in poverty who disproportionately are people of color in negative terminology. And all it does is it feeds the swamp of despair and hopelessness. Um, but we, I think it's going to be important to be vulnerable because I have spent time in tears realizing that I have had responsibility for systems that were absolutely complicit in the perpetuation of systemic racism in this nation. And, and so vulnerability, I think, in the C-suite or any leader is critically important. The other one I'd say is to be proximate. Um, I, I think, for instance, for me, I, I had no business being a policy leader if I didn't spend time in the field, being close to the work, seeing our employees and the work they did every day out in the human services field, sitting in the court, watching cases go through. So whether you're in the you know, private for-profit, you're in the social sector, you're in government, be proximate to the work, have a head and a heart connection. Um, that's critically important. And the third one, I think we got from Avidus Donabedian, as crazy as that sounds, the father of the Donabedian triangle, world-renowned, that structures data and processes are what created quality. And he was near the end of his life. And as he's being interviewed by the, he's being asked about all this great, you know, this great career he had, he created the Donabedian triangle, the father of quality. And he had the, the humility to say, I got it wrong. 
that in my quest of thinking data processing structures created quality, I took the altruism out of the work. And we've got to get love back into the work. Um, whether that is you know, love for our employees, love for, the, for, the, for the, those that we serve, our consumers. And um, that is critically important is when we're thinking about quality and engagement of our workforce um, through their lived experience, are they experiencing vulnerability, the proximacy of the organization to their lived experience and love? And I think those are the things that will be critically important. I'm hopeful you know, so many organizations are starting to reflect on processes and initiatives and start to hopefully think about what's effective, what is what makes sense. I think COVID taught us that maybe we had outdated technologies in place or we had outdated systems in place or maybe we weren't as connected as we thought we were what have you seen work best when companies, organizations, and government work together to tackle some of the issues you're talking about? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. I, I really think that coming out of the a pandemic, we really as a nation got a lens to one, how interdependent we are on one another. No matter who we are, what station we have in life, what, what, how much we're earning an hour. Uh, no one of us is above the other. We are, we are totally interdependent on one another and we can't lose sight of that. I think that um, what we, it's now time for us to think about government, the uh, for-profit sector, the social sector. We need to stop thinking about how we coordinate at times, but we have got to see and understand how, how we are um, really, and I'm going to use a term that I use quite a bit in my work, how we're moving from a traditional partnership to a generative one. What do I mean by that? I have been heartened by all of the companies, and I am not diminishing the importance of this at all. But the, you know, getting, you know, on the TV, hearing about how much food they have donated, how much money they've given for meals. And that should continue because we have to meet the emergent needs of our neighbors today. I get it. But I think where we're missing it is corporate America, from my perspective, sits on something that government and the social sector desperately needs. And that is the capacities for research and development, the capacities for innovation cycles that are quicker. We just watched as a nation, our ability to, to, make, to create 10 years of, of innovation in three months. Well, we gotta figure out with together, how do we keep that going? How do we not let that stop? Because when, when, when we had barriers in the, in, in the social sector, I was watching these organizations figure out ways under, around, over, and through them, but they don't have the capacity for the long haul to keep that going. Data bringing our data to life, helping us to understand what works best for whom, when, where, why, how. I just think if, if, if the for-profit sector could think broader about its commitment to social cause, to building the capacity of these organizations that are, that are responsible for all of these systems, I think it could be breathtakingly you know, amazing. 
Um, and I think it starts in boardrooms of these companies. I, I don't know that in boardrooms, they necessarily have the right perspective, diversity of this perspective sitting there at the table. And I think they need to start thinking about that. But I just would like to see companies have a bigger view of social responsibility beyond meeting the immediate need. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I had, I had Julie Lithcott Hames on the podcast a few weeks ago. She just wrote a book called, her first book was How to Raise an Adult. And then she came out with a book on how to adult. And I was talking to her and I asked her about, again, millennials and Gen Z and the labels that come around it. And she made a comment and said, you know, it's my generation's fault. It's this new generation's opportunity. And there's a lot more that came behind that. But I want to kind of ask you um, to talk for a second to the young people who are listening or the, the workers on the front lines who aren't in the boardroom, but are enthusiastic, fired up, and excited to continue progress. What do, what do you say to them? That's great. Um, you know, I, I'm trying to think of all the different vantage points that the, that broad definition of who we're talking about is, that's pretty broad, right? And I, I think that first of all, um, one of the things that is important is to see and understand the, the, larger, um, the larger value of the work you do every day to the, to the consumer. Uh, Sam, I, was, uh, I started working when I was nine years old uh, for a buck a night from my dad in a Kentucky Fried Chicken store in Marshalltown, Iowa. And I worked for my dad till I was 18 years old. And I think by then I was making three bucks an hour. But I could run the place by then too. And I'll never forget um, um, a, a homeless man, clearly homeless, walked in with crumpled up money and, and put his money down on the table and told my dad he needed a bucket of chicken. And my dad, I watched my dad treat him as if he was the king of England um, uh, with the utmost dignity and respect, with love. And I, I, I marvel, and, and when I'm in the grocery store, and, 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 and when, we, when, we, when we see one another, when, when we give people the opportunity to, to serve us and we say thank you and they feel value in the work they do, I think that's important. And I, and I, and I do think so oftentimes um, co companies don't do enough and we as employers, whether I don't care what sector you're in, don't do enough to help our employees have a head and a heart connection to the value of their work. I think the second thing though, is to make sure that whether it's just in your daily walk of, of seeing other people, literally not just passing them by, but seeing their humanity and seeking opportunities through your company, through your faith community, through a, through a local community-based organization where you have the opportunity to share that with others. I think it's, I think it's all three of those. Um, things that I would say to anybody, because I don't think it's just about your success at work. I think it's about fullness of life, but I think it makes you your best at work too. I feel like that you've said a few times uh, the importance of having a head and heart connection. You know, I feel like now more than ever, that's something that organizations <laughs> should put on the wall. 
strive for. Yeah, I, I, I still, you know, to me, it's like I, um, I've now gotten to the point when I do, because I'm taking on a consulting practice now um, uh, in both uh, uh, social sector and government. Um, but I only, and I'm doing work right now around helping organizations perfect their strategy for real breakthrough results. And one of the things that's really important that we don't do enough of is we, we, we create these great vision statements, these mission statements, these value statements. We do in every blah, 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 year strategic plan, right? But we're not crystal clear with absolute clarity of our purpose and our unwavering principles upon which that purpose will be achieved. And those to me are the enduring, right? And everything else comes from that. When you nail purpose and these enduring principles upon which that achievement will happen, you can unleash the power of a workforce with a head and a heart connection to it. But I watch people, they rush to do the, have the strategic plan and they know what they're gonna do, but they're not clear they're not clear with clarity what their purpose and what their achievement's going to be and those principles. And, and then how do you make sure that they're infused, aligned and accelerated across every experience your employees have with you that those principles truly are being lived in the organization and in the community and outside of the organization. Any, any techniques or any suggestions? Cause that's tough. How do you crystallize it? Well, you know, I, first of all, I think it, it absolutely starts with the board and the CEO, um, and that is to, um, uh, 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 you have to, you have to, you have to live it. It's got to be living proof. So um, when you get to your purpose, I mean, I take, you know, take when I was the CEO of the Alliance, I mean, anybody could have just said, well, that's a membership association. Um, you know, that's, they're, they're carrying water for their members. Well, no, we were working hard to create a healthy and equitable society. And we made sure that our theory of change and our theory of action and our, and, and, and ev in every aspect of what we were doing, right, was, was consistent with that. And I think CEOs as our, and boards have got to be guardians of the horizon. Um, and it's just very important to start there. So it's got to start with a CEO that has that head and heart connection to the larger purpose. But like I said, I still go back to the principles, the beliefs that the organization has that will stand the test of time uh, for alignment. And then it's literally, I know this sounds crazy, but I find in my work, it's just going through the, the capacity by capacity of an organization. Is this aligned to your performance management system? Mm -hmm. Not your annual performance review process, but through the entire system of performance management in an organization. Is this aligned to your training? Is this aligned to your hiring? Is this aligned, you know what I'm saying? To every aspect, is this aligned to the customer experience? And how do you know? Now I'll tell you some of these, you know, these engagement surveys, I think would have a lot more life to them and importance to them. Um, in terms of what we would get back from them, both for our consumers as well as um, our employees. Sure. Susan, this has been great. I, I have uh, one final, but I'll be a very important question. Uh, and it's, again, we've been talking a lot about future of work. What is your hope for the future of work? Well, I 
I want to make sure that I have um, an opportunity here to remind your, your listeners about the importance of this social sector. Um, there's 211,000 of these community-based human serving organizations in the country that provide human service type programs and, and services. Their collective spend is over $200 billion, which is the size of the American airline industry. They are a critical part of the economic engine of this country. And when I think about the future of work, to me, I think about the importance of this sector, the importance of the work we do, and, and how we build the human capital of our nation, and how through work, whether we're for-profit government or we're social sector, we're not just thinking about the work we've got to get done, but how we're creating the future of work, right? Um, um, through, 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 through the work we do every day with and through our employees, as we've talked about today. But I worry a little bit that people aren't, when I think about the future of work, not understanding the larger role, the sector that I just got done representing, the social sector has within in community in building the human capital of our nation. Because when that is strong, the future of work will be strong. It's about the people. And this sector plays a larger role with an in-community than just providing a bunch of programs and services for people, quote unquote, in need or a failed safety net. We have a much larger role that we play. Susan, it's been awesome talking. You know, you haven't you haven't just changed some of the words I use, you've changed how I think about them. So thank you for thank you so much for the work you've done and continue to do. And thank you for spending some time with us. I appreciate it. And I appreciate what you're doing too, Sam. It's really important. Thank you. Take care. I got a ton of notes from this episode. You know, I knew why I wanted to talk to Susan because I thought she would be able to bring new perspective, fresh perspective around not just the role of government, given her experience, but also the role of, and I'm not going to say non-profit sector anymore, what the social sector brings to the table. Susan's talked about being vulnerable. She talked about having a head and heart connection. She most clearly expressed the fact that it is all about the people. She opened my eyes to how we shouldn't just be better about how we talk about things, but we should think about the aspects of our community that impact work. It's not the nonprofit sector, it's the social sector. It's not vulnerable workers, it's communities of promise. Words matter, but as community leaders, it's equally as important that we act on the words, that we work every day to construct a community where everybody can be a part, where everybody can get access, and where everybody can compete. Thank you, Susan, for being a part of this episode to bring it in. Now, don't forget to subscribe to Bring It In so you never miss an episode. We've got some awesome guests lined up that you're not going to want to miss. Now, back to work.